The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Okay, well, we are in uh, the book of Acts, and we're in chapter 21. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 20. And we have an interesting uh, discussion tonight about the will of God. And so the title of the message is God's Will Be Done. And we're going to look at some things that happened in Paul's life. Kind of, you know, as we're now kind of in the last third of the book of Acts, Paul is making a beeline to the city of Jerusalem. And then from Jerusalem, he wants to go all the way to the Roman capital For the Lord has told him he will witness in Rome, uh, and he will give the gospel to none other than Caesar, the most powerful man uh, on the earth, and share the gospel with him. So let's bow our heads and pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we welcome the presence of your Holy Spirit here this evening, and pray that we might hear what the Spirit would say to us. Um, Lord, there are many, many things that are up in the air. There are many uh, choices that we need to make, many decisions that are pending, uh, that are before all of us, and we need to hear your voice. We want to know your will, and we want to hear your voice clearly. You said that my sheep hear my voice. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Praise you. Hallelujah, Lord. We acknowledge that you are King of kings, Lord of lords. You are seated upon your throne. You have all power and all authority. And thank you that you became a human being. Because you wanted to rule and reign on the earth. For we have a high priest who has been touched with every weakness and tested with every temptation known to mankind, and yet without sin. And thank you, Jesus, that you bore the sins of the world. You took all of the guilt and the shame. You took the curse and death itself so that we might be washed in your blood, cleansed, our sins wiped away, forgiven, and then filled with your spirit. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus, that your kingdom has come to everyone who has opened the door of their heart to the king. For wherever the king is, the kingdom of God dwells. So we recognize, we welcome the king and your kingdom In the midst of your church, you said that wherever two or three gather together in my name, there I am in your midst. So we worship you, O great shepherd of the sheep, O great lamb of God, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Lead and guide us now. In Jesus' mighty, wonderful name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Okay, so Acts chapter 21. Now, Uh, As we go into this, and if you have the outline, those that are uh, watching or have the outline, ministering amid false accusations. Um, It's very interesting that as Jesus finished his ministry, 
That's when the greatest amount of opposition and accusation came against him. Now we see the mirror in the Apostle Paul for all of his missionary journeys, three so far, uh, that he is now facing the greatest amount of accusation, uh, false accusations, and you know, people coming against him. Uh, Paul, is, he's, what he's doing is false, it's wrong, he's not teaching the truth, and we'll get into a little bit uh, the next few weeks, the battle that was going on, and even among Jewish believers, and, and what it meant to be Jewish and a believer, and what to follow, and what was salvation by grace through faith, and, and all the rest of it. Uh, but here in chapter 21, beginning in verses 1 through 4, we read this. Now it came to pass that when we had departed, so this is, uh, the we would include the author of the book of Acts, which is Luke, good Dr. Luke, who wrote the gospel of Luke and also wrote uh, this account of the Acts of the Apostles. So he is joining Paul at this point, and that's why he says that, so it came to pass when we had departed from them and set sail, running a straight course, uh, we came to Coos, the following day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera, and finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. And when we had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left, sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload her cargo. And finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. And they told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. Okay, let's stop there for just a moment. So here, it's kind of a, a little travel log. You can follow Paul, find, you know, go on a Bible map in the back of your Bible and follow Paul in the various places, going through Greece and making his way now to the coasts of Syria and Lebanon. And it gives us, you know, that kind of direction and all the rest of it. But I love what it says in verse four, where it says, and finding disciples we stayed there seven days. They were now going to be in Tyre. So this would have been Paul's first contact with believers in Tyre. And when we say Tyre, I'm speaking of the country of Lebanon. Uh, and it's likely that the church that was planted in Lebanon was a result of all the heavy persecution that came to the church in Jerusalem. So believers scattered from Jerusalem and they went various places uh, with history, family, and friends, and there they would go plant new churches. So we've been talking about how part of God's will and strategy for the early church was he allowed persecution, then he used persecution as the believers scattered and then went to family, friends, you know, backgrounds, uh, lands where their history and family may have been from, and they planted all these churches all over the Roman Empire. So know this, that God uses every crisis. Christ is always in the crisis. Christ is in the midst of the chaos. And the Lord uses whatever is going on. So you better believe that all of the chaos going on right now, God is using it. He has a plan for it in the midst of it. So the church, you know, we need to be in that place where we're looking up 
and you know, dialing into the Lord, saying, Lord, you, know, you have our attention, and now you've got the attention of the whole world. How do we fit in with your glorious plans? So I want to say this in your outline. Always find disciples to connect with. Paul went to Tyre. He had never been there before, which was Lebanon, and finding disciples. So he looked for them. Hey, where's the believers uh, that are here? I've heard that there were believers in Tyre, which is in Lebanon, but he had to find them. In the Greek, it indicates that they looked for them. They searched for them. They asked, where are those who believe in Jesus of Nazareth? And then they found them. So, and, and that's very important for all of us. Uh, wherever you go and whenever you're in a new place, a new situation, you need to find disciples. You need to find other believers and then you need to get connected with them. And this is a time where intentionally we need uh, to get through this and what we're going through. We need our brothers and we need sisters. We need their prayers. We need their encouragement. We need to be able to uh, share our you know, prayer needs. We need one another. We need the body of Christ. We need friends. We need fellowship. So, you know, it's good that you come maybe on a Saturday, you come on a Sunday, and you get fed the word, and you get to worship, but there needs to be a smaller group. We've got over 100 of them, growth groups, and there's Tuesday night men's discipleship, the women will be having their Tuesday uh, time of discipleship, and get involved and, and make friends. And as I said a couple of weeks ago, you go, well, I'm kind of new here, I don't have any friends, then my word to you is make new friends. <laughs> You be friendly. Those who would have friends would show themselves to be friendly. So you reach out, and then you'll get you know, blessed and you'll get ministered to. So here's the, the exciting thing. For me, being a pastor for you know, a number of years now, um, as the church grew and God began to bring relationships and friendships of disciples all over the world, I have had the privilege of going to pretty much all around the world. I've been to uh, Europe, I have been to uh, Asia, I have been to Africa, I have been to South and Central America, and wherever I go, here's the exciting thing, and I especially love when I go to a new place, because I can't wait to meet new brothers and sisters that are from wherever, whatever a country in Africa, whether it's Asia, whether it's Europe. I love meeting other believers, because here's the beautiful thing. You know, they're from a totally different background, culture, language, everything else. But immediately there's this bond. We're family in Christ Jesus. And the first thing that I always want to know is, so how did you fall in love with Jesus Christ? Tell me your story. What's your testimony? And I'll tell you, that's one of the best questions you can make friends with other believers is, how did you come to Christ? When was it? Uh, tell me your story, and gives them the opportunity to give God all the praise and all the glory. Oh, have I got a story for you, and I love that. Man, I just get me some iced coffee and kick back and go tell me all about it. I love it. It blesses me, and it bonds us together, and it knits us together in such a beautiful and precious way. It's a glorious thing being a Christian because no matter where you are in the world, you're never alone. There are always brothers and sisters that you can find that will bless you, that will encourage you, and that will minister to you. Now, I wanna just take a moment 
and talk about where we are right now. In the first four verses of Acts chapter 21, Paul goes to a new area. He's going to Tyre, and there happens to be a church there. It's not probably a large church, um, but it is a spirit-filled church, and it's full of spirit-filled believers. They're unashamed of Jesus Christ. They're witnessing believers. And the Holy Spirit has filled this fellowship. And I bet they were quite honored to have the Apostle Paul with them. And he enjoyed it so much, it says he stayed a week. He stayed seven days. And so several, you know, it's not that long ago, uh, maybe a year and a half ago or whatever, Pastor John Cook and myself had the privilege and opportunity of literally going to the country of Lebanon for the first time. And, um, and so we were there, and then we got to become involved with a uh, church called Resurrection Church. Resurrection Church with Pastor Hikmat. And what an amazing man of God. I just want to tell you, you have got one cool brother in the Lord, Hikmat, and his wife, and the ministry team that are there. And what a powerful witness they are for the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the biggest things that is happening right now, I'm sure you generally know kind of the 30,000 foot view, but there's been tremendous crisis uh, the last few years in Syria. And therefore, with all the chaos, you got the Americans are there and Russians are there and the Israelis are there and the Syrians are there and, you know, the terrorists are there. I mean, Syria is in serious trouble. Well, as a result, a lot of Syrians in the midst of that tremendous chaos have fled and and they became a flood of refugees leaving Syria and pouring, 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 pouring into the country of Lebanon. Do you know how many refugees there are? Imagine this. Lebanon's not not a big country. The the United Nations has, you know, the best uh, estimate right now is that there are today, tonight, over 865,000 refugees living, not in apartments and little homes or whatever, they're living literally in tents who have left their homes, their business, their life, and have been there for years. And then Lebanon can't absorb all of them. And, and then, you know, it becomes a problem. We can't let them into our schools or this and that, and it would just upset everything. It's a big mess, huge mess. So we need to pray uh, for the refugees that are from Syria. We need to pray for Pastor Hikmat and his church that are now, they've got this ministry. And literally, right, you could go down the road and there's just like a tent city. It's like a valley just filled with tens of thousands of tents of dislocated refugees that are trying to make, you know, trying to make just survive. But may I say to you this, in the midst of that horrible situation and the war and the stories of the torture and all the stuff that has happened because of what's going on in Syria, there are Syrian refugees that because Lebanon has a history going back to the days of Jesus because Jesus went to Tyre and Sidon in Lebanon and he healed the woman from Cana there and he ministered and he actually visited and preached 
entire incident, ancient Lebanon, and the church goes all the way back, literally, to the first century days of the book of Acts. That's the believers that Paul is now visiting. And, and literally thousands and thousands of Syrian refugees are now supernaturally, by dreams, visions, and the outpouring of ministry from the local believers there, are coming to Jesus Christ left and right over and over and over again. So one of the stories that I heard was this family, uh, and they're, you know, they're in very humble, poor circumstances. A fire broke out. And I mean, it was a fire that caught everything that was in this bedroom with this precious little girl in it. And it happened so quick and so fast. It was literally a burning hell. The fire was so hot that the father, would you not want to run in to save your precious little girl, but you can't bear the heat even to go into it? And that's happening. And then the little girl is seen walking out of the fire with a man holding her hand right next to her, whom they immediately recognize it was Jesus of Nazareth. They come to the Lord, and you want to believe every tent within 10 miles heard that story. Jesus was in this tent. People came, I want to go into the tent. We're going to get through all the rubble and stuff. Man, Jesus was here? Yes. Our Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, is walking in the tents of the refugees of the Syrians living in Lebanon because he's alive, he is risen, he's using this chaos to bring refugees into eternal life for the kingdom and glory of God. That's how good our God is. So I love that. And finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. Now, I want to go on to the next part of verse 4 and say this. It says, so in finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. So here's what I want to say for verse 4. How to discern God's will and being careful with the advice of others. What is God's will? Well, Paul says, the will of God for me is to go to Jerusalem. And now there is this church in Lebanon, entire, with Holy Spirit-filled church, and they have the gifts of the Spirit, and they have words of knowledge, and they're telling Paul in the Spirit, do not go to Jerusalem because there's going to be trouble there. So this is very, very interesting. Um, they know the word of the Lord. They, they have the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And they see what's going to happen with Paul. Paul, you're, you're, going to, you're going to have big trouble if you go to Jerusalem. Therefore, they believed that what the Spirit was showing them was a warning, a prohibition of Paul going to Jerusalem. Now listen carefully. Paul agreed that what they were sharing was from the Holy Spirit, but he did not interpret it as a prohibition from him to go to Jerusalem. He interpreted it as the Lord's giving me information so that I know what to expect, and therefore prayerfully I can prepare 
for what's going to happen when I land in Jerusalem. So this is very, very important. I want you to look at that again. In verse 4, finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. I want you to notice it was their own inference. It was not a direct command of the Holy Spirit that Paul should therefore not go to Jerusalem. And I want to add this. Paul already knew that by going to Jerusalem, which was in his heart, that his life would be in jeopardy. And in fact, the Lord had already told Paul, Jesus himself had told Paul what his future was going to be like. So look at Acts chapter 9, verse 16, and let's read this out loud. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So that's directly from Jesus. Paul, so this is after, by the way, Paul is already guilty of holding the coats of those who murdered a young man named Stephen. And who knows how many others were murdered at, at Paul's, you know, blessing. He'd rounded up Christians, he had harassed them, he had said they're you know, blasphemers, they're false uh, religion, uh, their teaching is wrong, their Messiah Jesus is wrong, and he's even going beyond the borders of Israel, going all the way up into Syria to Antioch to find Jews who are fleeing his persecution in Jerusalem, planting a church up in Syria in Antioch. But on the road to Damascus, he is struck to the ground by the very one that he didn't believe in, by the Shekinah glory of the Lord. And the voice saying, out of the blinding, brilliant, glorious light, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who is it, Lord? I know you're Lord, but I don't know who you are. This is Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now, Jesus is alive, he's risen, he's ascended, he's seated at the right hand of his Father in heaven. Paul hasn't physically touched Jesus or ever had met Jesus. Paul was doing it to the church, but Jesus said, you touch them, you have touched me. You persecute them, you persecute me. Do you see how Jesus takes that so personally? He is an amazing, glorious, great shepherd. But now that Paul is saved, I mean, this was a radical, you know, salvation that Jesus gave to this guy, Paul. And now Paul living with that guilt. I believe that Paul spent the rest of his life looking joyfully forward to the day when he would be able to lay his life down for his Savior and to give a faithful testimony. So Paul was not intimidated about what's coming in Jerusalem. I know what's coming in Jerusalem. Jesus told me of the things that I'm going to suffer. And so here's a picture of Paul being torn between listening to the counsel of others versus his own sense of divine duty. And what I want you to notice is that others can have gifts of the Spirit. Others can share with you things uh, that they see and they can speak into your life and we should listen to counsel. We should take advice. But ultimately, ultimately, we have to be directly accountable to the Lord. And you have to sometimes discern because what they saw, they, they gave a conclusion to that, therefore, because there's going to be trouble and you're going to have big opposition and the devil's after you and it's going to be bad for you, therefore, you shouldn't go. 
And Paul's like, well, I agree with everything you just said, except the last part, because the Lord told me to go. It's part of my calling. It's part of my duty. So here's what I want to also note in your notes. While the hearts of the believers were sincere, there was something they could not see and did not know. So they could not see how God would use Paul going to Jerusalem, what's going to happen to him there. There's no way that they could have seen that this would be good. There's no way that they could accept that Paul being arrested or beaten up or some way being silenced, his voice silenced, his ministry silenced. How could that be good for the kingdom of God? But they could not see what God saw about the future. They could not see how the Lord was going to use the apostle Paul when he does get arrested and his life is in jeopardy and he is threatened and he's gonna go to the highest courts and give a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jerusalem, he's gonna testify just as Jesus came and testified, I and my father are one. So Paul now will come And so this is like, you know, Paul is the rabbi of rabbis, the Pharisee of Pharisees. He's going to come to the whole religious community in the aftermath of the resurrection. And now the story that Jesus, who did all those miracles that they thought wasn't the Messiah, he got rejected and he got killed, so it's all over. No, it's not over. He's alive. He's risen. Here's a guy that was just as orthodox Jew as we were and against the Christians, but he saw Jesus risen and alive, Paul gets to give that testimony. You cannot imagine the ripple, powerful, divine, supernatural impact. Paul the rabbi, Paul the Pharisee, Paul the Jew of Jews, when he went to Jerusalem and he told those guys, I was just like you. I did not believe in Jesus. I did not believe he was the fulfillment of the prophecies. And I was dead wrong. And he's alive right. And I have seen him with my own eyes. And I can prove it to you. And I can even share with you the scriptures. And give you the prophecies. And lay out he fulfilled everything the prophets told us about. So the believers who were concerned for Paul on a personal level could not see the enormous supernatural impact that would have in Jerusalem. And may I then add, we're gonna find out at the end of our Bible study, though it may not have changed uh, the minds of some of those who were in the positions of power and the leadership of Israel, Paul's witness had another impact and it was effective and it reached multitudes, multitudes of Jews who because Paul was so courageous and so bold and laid it on the line and he told the truth and then it reverberated not only in Jerusalem but all over Israel. Like I said, we'll find out at the end of the message why. So the believers, oh, we've got to protect Paul. And Paul's going, you don't get it. God has a divine purpose. God's got a plan. I got to listen to him. I got to be obedient to his calling on my life. And it's going to have a tremendous impact. Paul saw things clearly. So at the end of the day, I want to just say this to all of you. We are living in days where you need to make, I know you're making a lot of decisions um, about a lot of things. And we all want to know what is God's will. 
And so it's not like the Bible tells you, there's not, you know, directly, okay, move now, take this job, move over here, whatever. We have to read the scriptures and we may get verses, but we have to hear the voice of our shepherd. We have to hear the voice of the Lord. And it's good to get counsel. It's good to get your friends and your family and those who are close to you and get advice and you weigh all of that. But in the end of the day, you have to make your choice saying, this is what I've heard the Lord say to me. So you can't blame, well, they told me, I asked my friends and they all said do this and I went with them and then whatever happened. You have to hear from the Lord. You have to be able to have the confidence that the Lord is speaking to me. And I wanna say, I don't care if you're a week old in the Lord, you can hear the voice of God. You don't have to be like, wow, really deep and super knowledgeable about everything to hear God. You say, well, how, how, what are you saying? I mean, how can a new person hear the voice of God? Because the only reason you're saved at all is because you heard the voice of the Lord speak to you knocking on the door of your heart. Otherwise, you didn't get saved. Those who hear his voice will open the door. You say, well, I heard him and I opened the door. Well, then you can hear God. That's why you're saved. So I don't care if you're a brand new believer, you have to pray, we, you have to take responsibility, take counsel, Take advice, it's godly, it's wise, God can use all of that, but at the very end of the day, you've gotta say, this is what God has spoken to me. I'm standing, you get scripture, let God make it come alive to you, and then you take it. Do you hear me? Make sense? You good with that? Hallelujah. Okay, let's look at verses eight through 11. Okay, well, actually, we've got to go to verse 5 here. So, when he had come to the end of those days, we departed and went our way, and they all accompanied us with wives and children until they were out of the city. And we knelt down on the shore and prayed. I love that picture. And when we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship, and they returned home. And when they had finished, or when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemaeus greeted the brethren and stayed with them one day. And on the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. Now, this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And when he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Okay, so let's just call this Philip, his four daughters who had the gift of prophecy, and the prophet Agabus. So let's start with uh, Philip. Who is Philip? Philip was the believer chosen in the very beginning of the early church as one of seven deacons. So the Greek word for deacon just means to serve and to be a ministry, uh, to serve others. So you know, we have many deacons here that serve on as ushers, as, uh, you know, in Sunday school and, you know, reaching out to people in a, in a hundred different ways. 
So this was one of the original seven. And, but here's what's cool uh, about uh, Philip. He was so filled with the Spirit. He was so on fire. He not only was a servant within the church, but he was the first evangelist to go to the area of Samaria. So that had all those racial boundaries. The Samaritans don't like the Jews, and the Jews don't like the Samaritans, and they had a long history. Because the Samaritans go back to, you remember the days when the children of Israel rebelled against God, and then they, they were taken captive away to Babylon. So there were other people that moved into the land and the homes of the Jews, and finally then the Jews come back. And so it was all intermingled, and they didn't like each other. They had a poor history. So that's where, of course, Jesus had gone there. Uh, the, the Samaritan woman at the well and told, read her mail, <laughs> go get your husband. Well, I don't have a husband. Yes, you've had five and the man you're living with. Now is not your husband. So well you have spoken. She's like, I perceive you are a prophet. Change the subject really fast. <laughs> and he says, if you knew who it was that spoken to you now, you would ask of him and he would give you waters from which you would never thirst again. And that woman, I mean, think about this. Jesus' ministry, it wasn't a crusade. It was, because the disciples, usually Jews didn't even travel through Samaria because it was dicey to go through, you know, it's not good. And Jesus like, no, my father said we're going to Samaria. And he went to Samaria and he got that one woman by the well and he revealed to her. And what's amazing is she's not even Jewish. And this is like one of the first times Jesus openly declares, I'm the Messiah. She drops her little jar, runs into the town. Come meet the man that told me everything of my whole life. The Messiah has come to Samaria. And the whole town starts coming down. Through one woman, Jesus planted a seed. And then the whole town is coming down. And so that was the seed that was planted. Now Philip goes on fire with the Holy Spirit as an evangelist. And there's a whole new crop of Samaritans that now come into the, into the family of God. Now it's been about uh, 20 years since that time. And now Philip has grown and he now lives in Caesarea, which is on the coast of Israel. He has a family and he has four unmarried daughters, at least at that time they were unmarried, and every single one of his four daughters had the gift of prophecy, which tells us not only they were saved, but it also tells us they had a relationship with the Lord, which tells us that Philip had laid a foundation and had given the, the roots and the foundation of faith to all four of these daughters who were filled with the Holy Spirit, had the gift of prophecy, and were active in ministering the gift of prophecy within the church. How cool is that? So in the name of Jesus, may God give us many Philips and Philips' wives and many daughters as well as sons who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who speak the word of the Lord and were able to prophesy in the name of Jesus. And I must say, I was pretty encouraged by the worship team because they're kind of prophesying the word as they're singing and worshiping. The Lord is like, now the next generation on fire. And I don't know if you realize, but they weren't just performing for you. 
their eyes were closed, their focus was on the Lord, and I could tell you guys were excited because they're, they're like worshiping the Lord, they're into it, and it gets us fired up and get excited. There's nothing more encouraging to parents than to see their kids that you pass the baton, that they love Jesus, that they're on fire for the Lord. So I, I just gotta say, you know, in the midst of this whole story in the book of Acts and Paul's traveling around, he's on his way to the big, you know, teaching, speaking, witnessing in Jerusalem and on, on to Rome, but along the way, here is Philip, who was a servant in the church, a deacon in the church, but who also was an evangelist. So any of you, you, you don't need a title, you don't need a tent, like Billy Graham even, but you can be an evangelist where you are. You can share your faith everywhere and, and evangelize and share the good news of Jesus Christ and let men, women, boys and girls come into the kingdom and then share your faith with your kids. Let them grow up and be raised with the wisdom, the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Amen. And then in verse 10, we have this crazy guy named Agabus uh, who came down from Judea. So he's got. So there's a lot of the gifts of the spirit in operation here. And by the way, we believe in the gifts of the Spirit. We, um, you know, part of our church, family, history, Pastor Chuck Smith, Calvary Chapel, we believe not only in theory, but we believe in literally the gifts of the Spirit. All of them are in operation today. Words of wisdom, words of knowledge, gifts of prophecy, plus the ministry gifts of helps and mercy, and there's lots of gifts, 21-some gifts, but they're all in operation, and they're all here, and we need those gifts, and we need them in operation. Well, here was this Agabus guy, so he's really sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and he's like, oh, Paul, there's Paul, and he's, so he's like, he's seeing his mind. God is revealing to him Paul's future, so he goes and kind of binds himself up and you know, he takes it from Paul, his belt or whatever, and says, this is what's going to happen to the man. You know, and Paul's like, okay, thanks. <laughs> yes, I know. But Agabus was also a prophet who had told people there's coming a famine. And so you better prepare and you better get ready for the famine that is to come. It was known throughout the church and it spread throughout the church. And the church, see, that's why we also use exercise and believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. God uses those who have the Holy Spirit sometimes to give us a little heads up of what may be coming down the road so that we can prepare. Jesus said, as it was, and, and look, I believe, and I'm telling you, and I'm not getting off of this, we're living in the last days. Jesus is coming soon, so get ready, be prepared. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. So in general, I want to just say to you as directly as I possibly can, get ready, get ready for a challenging, more challenging times. Get ready for it. The world's going to go in a direction we generally know where they're headed. But we need to just lean into a deeper walk with the Lord and we need to prepare. Noah had 120 years, but he spent that time wisely preparing for what God said was coming. I mean, I hope it's not a big shock to you that the Bible says in the very end, you know, when the Lord comes, there's also judgment coming. How many of you are aware? We don't need to make a big deal out of it, but 
you know, it's not like, you know, there's just rainbows and unicorns that are going to come. I mean, it's going to be tough times. Have you read the book of Revelation? Judgment is coming. Now, the good news is we have not been destined for wrath. We are spared. Can I hear an amen? We are spared the wrath of God, period. He's promised it to us. I'm not going to do that to my children. But the world's going to be, they're going to be going through it. God's going to be pulling them just like that little girl out of the fire when Jesus grabbed that little girl by the hand. And it was not only for that little girl, thank God, that didn't get burned in the fire, but it was for mom and dad who saw it and then told who knows how many thousands of Syrian refugees Jesus just landed in the tents of the Syrians. That means that he cares. That means he sees how hard it is. That means he, he's concerned with what we're suffering and going through. And nobody else has shown up. And they're leaving what they, have believed, what they have believed in the past. And they're now following Jesus, reading. You know how easy it is when you have Jesus take a little girl by the hand out of a fire? And then all these Syrians going, hey, could we get a Bible? We'd like to read about Jesus. We've never read about him. And you know what that does? Pierces their hearts when they read about. You have no idea if you weren't in Syria in a war-torn country, raised in, a, in the Muslim faith or whatever, you have no idea the impact. And like, it hits you when you read about just the words of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. They're weeping and with tears. And they're like, I never knew. The very one that showed up and saved that little girl, now I know him, now I know why, now I trust him, now I pray and I talk to my Lord and my Savior. How beautiful and how precious that is. So, Agabus. So what I'm saying is, prepare. Whatever, the Holy Spirit will show you how to prepare. Be prepared for the days to come. Agabus told the people about that. He told Paul what was coming, and therefore, Paul was able to prepare. Okay, look with me in verses uh, 12 through 14. And this, is, this finishes kind of our conversation about... Um, Advice. So verse 12, it says, now, when we heard these things, again, we, Luke, uh, Luke is involved in this, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. So they're still on it. Paul, trouble's coming. We know. And now Agabus, who's the guy that told us a famine was coming and everybody knows the famine did come and we prepared. So they're back on to so the Lord's showing us, Paul, it's not God's will for you to go to Jerusalem. So we, that, so here that is, we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with Paul with tears not to go up to Jerusalem. And then Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. He goes, you guys don't get it. Yeah, yes. He goes, I'm ready to die for Jesus. So verse 14, this is where it all wraps up. So when he would not be persuaded otherwise, we ceased saying, the will of the Lord be done. So I want to put, have you put this in your notes. The best advice you can give somebody else, you've given them your thoughts, you've given them your counsel, you've given them your advice, 
But in the end of the day, you got to go, but you need to pray about it and you need to do what the Holy Spirit shows you to do. And finally, they stopped arguing with Paul, tried to persuade Paul, and they just said, well, then the will of the Lord be done. Ultimately, that is the very, very best, most spiritual, godly, comforting advice you can ever give to someone. It doesn't mean you can't share your thoughts, your feelings, your concerns, your experience, your background, all good. The Bible talks about in Proverbs that counsel is good. We should listen to others. But at the same time, in the end of the day, you know, you can't force other people. They need to hear the Lord. You need to give them the freedom to wait on the Lord, hear the Lord. And if they go, no, this is what God has shown me, then you say, okay, I've shared it. No more arguing. The will of the Lord be done. And trust in that. Can I hear an amen? amen. They ceased. Okay, verses uh, 15 through 20. And so we're going to wrap it up here in these final verses. And this, this is the cool part. This is, oh, I can't wait to share this with you. Verse 15. And after those days, we packed up and went up to Jerusalem. Also, some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us and brought with them a certain Mason of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we were to lodge. So there are names of different people that helped Paul along the journey get mentioned in the Bible, and then people read their names for the next 2,000 years. So every good deed you do, no matter how small it may be, I believe that there is a book in heaven. Every good thing that you've done from a pure heart, from a righteous heart, no matter how big or small it is, I believe it's all been written and recorded. Everything. Everything. God is a great bookkeeper, and one way or another, you will be recognized or the Lord will bless you or honor you or somehow reward you for every little thing you do. Everything means something. Everything counts. The small, and there are many people that feel like, well, I'm not some big Billy Graham or I don't pastor some big church and I just do these little things. No, 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 no. God's economy is different from ours. As Jesus said, if you give a cup of cold water to a stranger who is thirsty, he said, I will take it as if it was me sitting on the road, thirsty, and that little person that goes, nobody sees me, nobody cares about me. You saw me, you care for me, you knew I was thirsty, you went and got a little glass of cold water and refreshed me. Jesus takes note of that. And he is going to honor that. So let our lives be an accumulation of good deeds, whether big or small, for the glory of the Lord. So there's little Mason, he got mentioned. Verse 17, and when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. So now we're in Jerusalem. Uh, James is the same guy who wrote the book of James in the New Testament, whose real name, his Hebrew name, uh, was Jacob. And he not only wrote the book of James in the New Testament, toward the end of the New Testament, but he also was the half-brother of Jesus. And not only was he the half-brother of Jesus, he happened to be the leader of the Messianic Jewish community that lived in Jerusalem. 
So this was a big deal. Paul has not been to Jerusalem for about five years. He's been going around the world, Roman Empire, you know, Mediterranean ships and places. And so now he's, you know, it all started in Jerusalem. Five years later, Paul comes back. He's got the leader of the Messianic community, Jesus, half-brother James, and all the elders of the church of Jerusalem. And when we had greeted them, he told in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. Paul gave story after story, testimony after testimony, church after church that was planted, uh, city, town, village, miracles, healings, impact into the whole Roman world. He gave God all of the glory. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. Which, me, which meant these were Messianic Jews. And here's what I want to leave you with. Paul's discovery that there are tens of thousands of Jewish believers in Jerusalem. Paul must have been blown away when James and the elders told him, so how's the church doing in Jerusalem? Uh, because literally, the word that is used in the Greek means multiples of tens of thousands, meaning that the minimum would be 20,000, but it was probably more than that, maybe 30,000, maybe 50,000. So what I want you to realize is Paul is on his way to Jerusalem and he's going to you know, speak to some of the big leaders and there's going to be some battles there, but the impact of Paul's journey throughout the Roman world and all the Jewish communities there that started the churches and then all the Gentiles that came to believe and then five years later, Paul comes back, tells them all these stories about the churches exploding all over Rome. In fact, one place they had a riot. You guys will love this. A bunch of Jewish messianic guys. He goes, we were preaching the gospel. So many were coming to the Lord. Nobody was buying their stupid little idols of Diana and it was crashing their business. How cool is that? And they must have slapped their thigh and been laughing going, that's awesome. Because Rome is crumbling and the kingdom is being multiplied. And then what it must have meant for Paul to realize, so I'm not alone and I'm not crazy. Tens of thousands, maybe 20, maybe 30, maybe 40, maybe 50,000 of my Jewish brethren, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the tribes of Israel, have had their eyes open and recognized Yeshua of Nazareth is the Messiah. They have had their eyes opened. And God is doing a mighty work even today in Israel, now because of the internet, uh, testimonies, if you wanna look them up, it's called I Met Messiah, or One for Israel, and Jews from every kind of background, religious to atheist, they get radically saved and they get about eight minute little testimonies, and it's gone viral, as they say, where Jews are watching and listening to other Jews, and millions of them in Hebrew, saying, I have met Yeshua of Nazareth. He, as a matter of fact, happens to be the Messiah for the Jews as well as for the Gentiles. How cool is that? Amen? Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.